Today, Nick is joined by regular guest and Mile High Huddle's very own senior draft analyst, Eric Trickle, to discuss two of the top running backs in this upcoming draft class, Saquon Barkley and Darius Geis. You're listening to the Huddle Up Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Hello, Broncos country, and it's once again time to huddle up draft style. I am avid football fan and draft fanatic Nick Kendall, joined once again by my dear friend Eric Trickle. Eric, how goes it up in Alaska? I said hello to the sun. She misses you. It's actually going pretty good. The weather's really rather crappy. It's been wet and rainy, and it's so all the air, all the ice and snow is melting, and then it's going to freeze here soon. It's going to be slick. Uh, I'm so sick of this weather. You picked the wrong place to live if you do not like winter. I had no choice. Yeah, that's <laughs> that is that is true. Can't be can't choose who you're born to or where you're born or anything like that. But hopefully you'll see a chance to get yourself out of there. No, no disrespect to Alaska. It looks beautiful, but I don't know if I'd want to live there. I, I like winter. I mean, in Iowa, I guess we have it like five months a year, but that'd be summer, nine. Summer up here is fine. It's just the winters, especially if they're nasty like this. You also get the high winds from all the winter storms and yeah. Yeah, that doesn't sound ideal, but at least you have Star Wars coming up to console you. Yes, Star Wars. And my birthday. Uh, and Christmas, and so. Yeah, it's all, it's all there. Are you doing all at once? No, my birthday's in January. I know, but you just might as well celebrate all of them at once. And no. that, the Star Wars, just dress up in your Jedi cloak, open your gifts with your lightsaber. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the way to do it. No, we're basically doing Star Wars with my dad's birthday, because his birthday's tomorrow, and then we're going to see Star Wars on Thursday. But... I've joked about dressing up as Star Wars for his birthday, and he hasn't taken to it. That's when you just do it. That's when the, he's not telling you directly, but he definitely wants that. Right? Oh, like, I have, I have the Boba Fett mask. I can dress up as Boba Fett. There you go. You to go to the movie theater with him in that. I mean, that's. <laughs> I'm sure he'll love it. Remember, Solomon Thomas, man. He's, he's your bro, and he's a big Star Wars nerd, too. So. so was the one receiver from Georgia a few years back who did the fanfic, or fan film, uh, I mean. Yes, yes, yes. Went to the Chiefs. Conley. Yep. And he's honestly played okay there for what they need. And once once he got hurt, that offense kind of yeah. went to went to death. Granted, you know, they he's not really that big part of the offense, but the role he fills, they need that vertical, tall stretch guy. And they don't have anybody else like him. I liked him a lot pre draft. I never thought he'd be a star, but he's effective when he's on the field. Yeah. No. Good player. Screw the Chiefs. <laughs> so Eric, what have you been uh Working on pretty recently, you had some pretty good articles come out these last uh, this last week, last two weeks, I guess. Yeah, I did a piece about seven players that the Broncos have to look at in the first round with their first pick. We've talked about a couple of them because a couple of them were quarterbacks with Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield. As I mentioned in the article, I left Sam Darnold out simply because it's expected he returns to school. Talked about a couple offensive linemen, talked about a pass rusher, and I've talked about a linebacker, which – if L.A. starts valuing the position and he's shown that he's actually interested in linebackers before, just hasn't been able to land them, then the linebacker I talk about, I could really see De- um, Denver going after him. Well, we should I, – I say let's hold off on that and we'll talk about these articles after we talk about these two running backs and we'll really dive in a little bit. We won't go a full deep dive on these players, but, you know, we can bounce yeah. off a little bit. So. Well, this show's focus is all things that pertain to your Denver Broncos as it pertains with this episode to the NFL Draft. We bring in you draft podcasts every single week leading up to the draft and even after. With myself and Eric being film junkies and Carl, who's not here today joining us, we'll be bringing the draft episodes with a scout-based perspective, breaking down the players from a skill set and how they might fit specifically into your Denver Broncos. Follow myself on Twitter at NickKendallMHH and follow Eric on Twitter at Eric Trickle. Be sure that you tweet us any questions or opinions that you have because we live for talking Bronco football, especially as it pertains to roster building and the NFL draft. You can follow the podcast Twitter account at HuddleUpPod. Make sure you check out ours and our co-writers' content at MileHighHuddle.com, a part of Scout.com, and an affiliate of the CBS Sports Digital. We know your listeners are as Bronco and football crazy as we are, so please give us a click and subscribe to us on iTunes as well as Stitcher. And don't forget to share us on Facebook and Twitter. We wouldn't be here today without you listeners, so please take time to rate and subscribe to let your voices be heard on how you enjoy the show. 
Hey gang, Chad Jensen here. The fellas have a lot of great Broncos analysis to get to today, and especially as it pertains to 2018. But first, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Rep the Squad. We got to draw your attention to one of the coolest services for a Broncos fan out there. Rep the Squad is a jersey subscription club that lets you rep every jersey that you want. With hundreds of different jerseys, Rep the Squad allows you to switch between your favorite stars and styles whenever you like. Maybe this week it's a home jersey of Von Miller. And next week, it's Emmanuel Sanders on the road. Adult memberships are $19.95 per month, and youth are $16.95. New jerseys arrive each week, fresh and clean, within two to three days of ordering. It's like Netflix for jerseys. Rep the Squad allows you to rep the Broncos all season long, no matter if it's home, away, or an alternate jersey. Free shipping both ways. Cancel anytime, but here's the key, you guys. Use promotion code HUDDLE, that's H-U-D-D-L-E, to get 50% off your first month at RepTheSquad.com. That's promo code HUDDLE at RepTheSquad.com. Go there, sign up for a subscription, use the code, thank us later. All right, Eric, well, we are going to hit two running backs today because this is looks to be one of the – they're saying the same thing last year, but this year's running back class looks maybe not – as top heavy as last season but as far as the depth goes it's insane i mean you're going to be getting day two talent probably halfway into day three i think there's probably going to be at least 25 running backs taken it wasn't you i think it was you that told me that you were talking to the scout and that earlier in the season there were about 18 running backs with at least day two grades yeah there was i can't remember the exact number off the top of my head but there was a lot it was at least 15 like somewhere around there that had that were graded in the first, second, or third round. And I just got to say this. I actually disagree. I think this year's draft class is a little bit more top-heavy than last year's. I think the top two running backs this year are better than last year's top two. And I think the talent after them is a lot stronger than the talent after the guys last year, too. You know what? I, I honestly – I said that this the last year's draft class was more top-heavy. I don't feel like you have the – the obvious talents, at least the hyped-up talents, like you had with McCaffrey, Cook, and Fournette, and Mixon, for that matter, who I'm still you know, not a big fan of with his incident. But you know, what can you do? He's not a Broncos, so I can't be too upset. But when it comes to the top two running backs in this course, or in this class, I wouldn't be surprised if they're both better than the top two, top three running backs last year. I wouldn't say that any of them are Ezekiel Elliott. I guess we'll break, get into that when we talk about the number, our number one running back. But, you know, going off the Leonard Fournette being great last year, number four overall pick, the guy who honestly probably was the best running back on tape, at least most statistically viable, and showed up really well last season with spelling for Fournette, Darius Geis, third-year junior, 5'11", 215, 220-pound running back from LSU, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, four-star recruit, played 12 games as a freshman, started 6 of 12 last year, and actually grew up in a really really dangerous neighborhood mixed with poverty. His mother worked multiple jobs and has two younger brothers to keep the family afloat and make sure that Geis and his brothers had plenty of football experiences, Um, was actually obese as a child. And many pushed him to play offensive line, but he wanted to play running back and he got his body in shape and here he is today. So he, he runs kind of like a guy who was an offensive line. Let's well with his physicality, at least has missed time with injuries, missed multiple games due to injury in high school. Also, when Geis was seven, his father was a victim of a murder at a Denny's restaurant. It was just insane. That stuff, you know, it sounds made up, but it's true. Uh, got into an argument with a patron and was shot multiple times. And so that's a big incident. And he had, Geis had some issues in high school, was suspended from spring practice as a senior due to some maturity issues, had an ankle issue. And some say that he was a team cancer there. So definitely an issue. That's not the vibe that I get from him at LSU. I think he's kind of had a, a turnaround as far as that goes, but had some issues in high school for sure. And also, his uh, brother got in trouble for a second-degree murder. He was a driver in a drive-by shooting and just, just, just has had some issues. He also was taken to uh, the hospital before his sophomore season because of fatigue from an extreme workout. So interesting guy, definitely a very up-and-down and unfortunate slash unique background and upbringing. I mean, you never want to hear about these kids in poverty. That's, that's always a tragedy and when you're around stuff like that. But he's definitely made the most of his uh, situation at LSU, especially being behind a guy like Fournette. People talk about Fournette was an alpha dog there, and a lot of people just kind of stood in his shadow, but Geis was never a guy that stood in his shadow. Geis, somebody compared it to, I don't remember where I read it, but they compared it to Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant at Oklahoma State, where, yes, Kevin Durant was a top three player and, you know, very highly celebrated player, but that didn't stop Russell Westbrook from looking for the spotlight and 
being a dog as well. That's that's what I get from guys. He's never intimidated, was never intimidated by this huge shadow that Leonard Fournette with the pomp and circumstance that he brought from high school all the way through his college career. And he's fit right in. There was a quote this offseason from that was given to Bleacher Report's Matt Hayes that the way Geis runs, my guess is that half or more of the teams in the league would take him over Fournette right now. And that was at the conclusion of last year. And Geis was really impressive last year. He actually led the SEC in rushing yards, despite being the backup. He had two games over 250 yards. So that's, I mean, he's definitely had some incredible games. And I'm, I really like what I see. I don't think he's the most dynamic athlete at running back, but you know, when you want to think running back like a typical between the tackles, Masher can kind of do a little bit of everything and just just a, a monster mentality, you know, looking for physicality and just effectively running between the tackles. I think Geis is probably as prototype as it comes. All right. First of all, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant weren't part of Oklahoma State, my friend. Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City Thunder. <laughs> my bad. Talking too much college. <laughs> Talking too much college football. <laughs> I heard that and I had to refrain from interrupting on you interrupting you about that. But was Oklahoma that, City. Yeah. I, I'm not an NBA guy, believe it or not. I'm not just never really did it for me. It's boring. <sighs> yeah. I'm not just I don't know. There's not a, so much parody. The issue is it's the same freaking two teams year after year. It is. It is. And all the stars, they all want to team up and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just being bitter old football fans here. <laughs> as as for guys, I all this year and this summer, it's been Barkley or guys, Barkley or guys, Barkley or guys. Why can't we like both of them? Why does it have to be one or the other? I like guys. I like Barkley. My issue with guys is that he's. I think he's actually a little bit better of a pure runner than Barkley is, but. He's got these injuries. He's got some ball security. And then there's this issue of how often is he used as a pass catcher? You, you don't see that. You don't see these other aspects to his game that you have seen from Barkley. I, I love the way he runs. I, I love watching him run. I think he's really good, especially between the tackles when he can sit there and just lower and just plow through some guys if need be. But that's not all he is. He can take him outside. and he's got. He's not fast. But he's got enough speed to take it and go. He's got enough speed to get into the second level and pick up big chunks of yards. You can see him break one, uh, break a long one every now and then. It's more like a couple running backs that we've seen in the NFL. But the, uh, you have comparisons down to as uh, Frank Gore and Marshawn Lynch and Geis is like them. You don't see them break big, long ones all that often. But you see them pick up chunks of 5, 10 yards pretty consistently. You don't see them tackle, especially when Gore and Lynch were in their prime, of course. And that's what Guy Springs. He's not fast. He's not going to sit there and take off. And he's not a Jamal Charles, obviously. If you watch him and you think that he's going to be somebody who breaks consistent big runs for you, of uh, 15, 20 plus yards, going 80 yards for the touchdown, you're going to be disappointed. That's not him. That's not his style. It's you want to. You really want to run him between the tackles. You want to let him do what he does best, pick up those chunks of yards. You can run him outside. He's got good enough vision to find the cutback lane if he needs to. But it just comes back to the injuries, the ball security, and what is he going to offer as a three-down back? Because right now, all I see is a guy that you want in there on first and second down and then short yard situations. Yeah, I say I would think that he offers a little bit more as a three-down back than Fournette did. They used him a little bit more in the passing game, but that's still going to be a question for him. You know, you never saw him really running wheel routes or having to do stuff in space as a receiver. So that's that's going to be a question for him all through the draft process that it's not going to be answered until we see him in drills. And even then, it's still going to be something that, well, we didn't really see it on the tape, so what do we actually know? But I agree with you. Between the tackles, he's, he's a banger. Uh, only listed 215, 220. He runs like he's 240. So very physical, uh, seeks contact. Um, runs runs behind his pads. That's something that really sticks out to me. He's somebody that, while he's not 240, he, he plays like it because he plays with great leverage and just all that momentum and power just squared behind him. So you got you got to bring it, especially as a secondary member, but you got to bring it if you're going to tackle him. And even when you do get hands on him, he's going to keep those legs turning. He's bouncy at contact. If you don't wrap him up cleanly or square up, he's, he's going to make you bounce off him. I love that. That's something I really look for in a running back. He, you, I agree with you when you say he's not really a home run hitter, but he's, he's definitely got quickness. His ability to 
change direction and keep his base low and not lose momentum when he changes direction is really good. Really good. I don't expect him to run a 4-4-40, but he'll be around a 4-5, maybe a little bit slower than a 4-5, but that, that's fine for a running back, especially one that you're looking for between the tackles. One thing I like about him is his vision is excellent. Watching him, I don't see him miss many holes, and he's not slow to react to a hole opening up either. In fact, sometimes I've seen him cut back against the grain if LSU's running more of his own concept. He'll start going toward it, towards it before it evens opened up. A lot of times you see guys that you see the wheels turning, and they'll either run into their guy because they missed the hole, or they'll just kick it outside because they are used to being athletic enough that they can just kick it outside and not have to worry about it. But guys, I mean, you get him between the tackles and let him run downhill. And, you know, first quarter, second quarter, he's picking up three-yard gain, five-yard gain, eight-yard gain here and there. But then by the third, fourth quarter, you're talking 15-yard gain, 18-yard gain, just et cetera, et cetera. He, he can really wear you down. As far as the negatives go, you, you touched on it as well. He's had injuries, which is really, really a concern for a running back, especially this young in his career. And something that I probably will always harp on with these running backs, you'll probably hear it as a negative or something that needs worked on for every single one, is that his pass blocking to me left a, not a lot to be desired, but it needs work. When a, when a linebacker comes or you know, he's asked to and use a cut block, you know, go at the legs, he's, he's pretty good at that. He can get in the way and do that. But when it comes down to squaring up and getting low and anchoring against a linebacker he he shows the attitude for it but not really the technique so that's kind of an issue and also ball security issues he puts put it on the the ground affair over the last couple seasons right now he's my number two running back that could change uh i really do like what i see from ronald jones at usc and damian harris is a guy that i feel like i'm higher on than most people i don't know why alabama doesn't use him more but i think guys right now he'd be my number two running back a top 20 player on my board and uh, would be running back one for Denver immediately if they picked him. I have Frank Gore as a comparison, Marshawn Lynch, just for that mentality. Somebody else that kind of was a, never the best athlete, but that, that grinder with great vision that almost has the, I think the exact same size as him is Curtis Martin. I think guys plays with a little bit more physicality than Curtis Martin did, but as far as the, the grinder that can go between the tackles and be just be great vision uh, running behind the pads. I think Curtis Martin's a pretty, pretty good comparison. Yeah, I think it is. Martin was a little bit more elusive, whereas Geis relies a little bit more on the power. But Geis can Geis can be plenty elusive enough as it is. Seen it a lot, and he's able to bounce away. And you touched on it a little bit. And if you don't wrap him up, he can run through you and just bounce out of those out of those ankle tackles, things like that. You mentioned his forty time about four or five, I think, is what you said. I That's think what I thought was projected. I think I have his time down for like a five or a four five five to a four six oh. So just somewhere in that range. So four or five is something that could be had. But just off tape, I have it just a, just a smidge slower. Pass blocking, that's something that every running back coming out of college really needs to work on. Ezekiel uh, Elliott didn't. I'm just going to say Elliott's pass blocking was like amazing. I could not believe it. Also, Damian Harris. I'm, we're not there yet, but I'm, there are some exceptions for but like 99% of the guys. It's going to be an issue. Yeah, there's exceptions to every rule. It's like it's like tight ends. A lot of tight ends coming out of college aren't going to be the best blockers. It's just because that's what that's not what they're asked to do. It's same with running backs. Running backs aren't asked to block often enough for them to take the time to perfect the technique to become great at it. Elliot, obvious, yes, he's an exception to it. There's a few others that aren't coming to mind now that I've scouted over the last few years, and then. I found it ridiculous. I actually saw somebody who was talking about how many touches guys had. Okay. He's touched the he's had 479 plays from scrimmage. So if if that's a lot, then where do you want these guys to be? I mean, you, they got to touch the ball sometimes. Can't remember the exact numbers, but I ran some other running backs who went pretty high and they were all sitting at like 1200 plus touches. And yeah. somebody wanted to complain that this guy under 500 is a lot. It, people just want to reach sometimes for an excuse to dislike a guy. I don't know if this this guy may have been a Penn State fan, may have been a Bama fan, may have been trying to find some way to just tear guys down. But 479 touches, 3,200 yards. That's freaking impressive. So 30 touchdowns added to it. He, he's got the stats. The film is there. There's a stuff that there's these negatives you that we've touched on. 
He is right now my running back too. I still got to watch quite a few running backs, so my rankings aren't anywhere near solid. But uh, just about any team he goes to, he'd be running back one. Obvious exceptions. I mean, he's not going to go in and be Sardro over guys like Elliott or Bell or even Fournette, I don't think. But most of most other teams, yes, especially in Denver. C.J. Anderson's gone. Booker just hasn't shown it enough. You got Henderson, who's a question mark. Charles won't be back next year. Guys would definitely step in and be running back one in Denver. And he could be effective. I think Guys is one where you don't need certain blocking schemes in front of him, like with some other running backs. Other running backs, you they're basically just zone guys or they're just power guys. You can throw Guys into any kind of blocking concept and he can be effective. I was just going to ask you that about the blocking concept. I agree with you. I do wonder if he has the the getup that you want, that high-end guy on that zone stretch play. But with his ability to cut back and his vision, I'm not, I'm not as worried about it. That's for sure. With the zone stretch, I think just the vision and his ability to cut back is great enough for him to be effective in it. He's not going to have that speed to get to the edge, especially with the linebackers getting quicker, bringing safeties down to play that linebacker spot to help defend against zone stretches. So he's, he's he can do it with other re- with other things that he possesses. Yeah, especially with how he runs behind his pads. I mean, you let him, once that zone stretch, even if he's not getting the outside, he can find that cutback lane, get behind his pads, and barrel forward for six yards. And if you do that every play, you're going to find yourself in the end zone. So I'm not too worried about it either. I do want to ask you if you are at all worried about his drop in production from his sophomore season to his junior season this past year. 183 times for 1,387 yards, 15 touchdowns, and 7.6 yards per carry. So very good average. This season, not the same. Uh, 216 carries, so more carries, but less yards. 1,153 yards, 5.3 yards per carry, and 11 touchdowns. So this season, not not as good as his sophomore year. Well, I'm pulling something up on that. I agree that it – I don't think it's a concern. I agree that there – I mean, obviously, there's a drop-off. I agree that it should be something that should be looked into – but looking at what LSU has, I think their offensive line plays dropped from watching film from last year to this year. And I don't think the guy who is giving guys a break is as good. Daryl Williams, what I've seen of him, he's okay, but he's no Fournette. Yeah. And the way that guys was used last year to give Fournette the break worked perfectly. Fournette was able to go in and really beat up on these defensive guys. And then guys, defensive guys – and then Geis was able to come in and take advantage of it. They were already worn out, and so he was able to break off bigger ones more consistently. That's why his production's dropped a little bit from what I can see. Obviously, there could be more to it, but I just don't think the offensive line is anywhere near as good, and then the other running back they have just isn't as good either. Yeah, and then you go hand-in-hand with LSU being a barren of talent, it seems, offensively year after year, especially in the past game. For how many four-star five-star quarterbacks and wide receivers they have, you think they'd be able to muster up some sort of passing game, but year after year, it's, it's garbage. There's no other way to put it. So yeah. he goes against a lot of stacked boxes. But yeah, no, he's a very talented back. I'm a fan. I don't think that the Broncos will be looking for a running back where they pick, and even if they were where they're picking, I don't see them looking to get him. But that said, if he falls because of not a great combine or anything like that, and he's available very end of the first round, beginning of the second round, I know running back's a devalued position, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset at all if they went that route. At least get like an offensive identity piece. Yeah, I could see I don't think they'll take him with where they currently sit in the top five. But if they win another game and potentially drop to the top just outside or just within the top ten, or even a little bit outside the top ten, I could see them looking at guys. I could also see them trying to see if the board will fall some and then potentially trying to trade up maybe to get him or just see if he falls to the second round because as you touched on. Running back is such a devalued position. It's why teams aren't spending on it. Why spend when you can go get a guy, draft a guy who produces similar production for a fraction of the cost? Yeah, no, I'm I'm with that mindset as well. Running back, especially in a deep class like this, you can probably get a starting quality guy around three or four. You know, you have Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt, classic examples this season. But then there are guys that I've been arguing this point on Twitter, on Facebook, everything. There are players that, even though the positional value isn't there, their talent level transcends the position. Now, there are rare guys for that at guard. Maybe Quentin Nelson's that guy this year. He is. Um, you see interior. For, yeah, he might be. Uh, oh, he is. 
We'll, we'll save that for a, a later date. I'll just sit there and say he is the whole time. Don't worry. <laughs> but there are definitely, in my opinion, there definitely is at least one guy in this class that transcends his positional value. And that is running back from Penn State, Saquon Barkley. Third year junior, 5'11", 230, 235 pounds. And probably he's, right now, I think he's the second best running back I've evaluated as far as a college prospect goes. I have Ezekiel Elliott a little bit higher. I think Elliott had, his pass blocking was better. I think he had a little bit better straight line speed. And I think, I mean, Elliott's the best pass blocking running back I've ever scouted. He was amazing in that regard. But with Elliott, you have the off-field questions. With Barkley, not the case. Not the case at all. As a freshman, he started six of 11 games, started nine games as a sophomore, and was voted to the team's leadership council. Originally committed to Rutgers, but Coach Franklin sold him enough to change his commitment. Uh, grew up, again, in a bad neighborhood, drug-infested, with run by gangsters. Great uncle. Iron Barkley was a title-built boxer, so kind of cool. And his father was a semi-pro boxer whose career ended with a shoulder injury, unfortunately. While in New York, his father actually got addicted to crack cocaine and was sometimes homeless and spent one year in prison on a gun charge as a teenager, so definitely had some issues there. Uh, Barkley's mother moved the family to Pennsylvania to get the family away from that negative influence in his life and help Barkley get the father clean. And uh, Barkley also experienced asthma symptoms in New York, which were alleviated after the moving, so that's something definitely to, to look out for, although you've seen guys like Jerome Pettis, Bettis play with asthma, but definitely something worth noting. His father's actually a cook now at Chili's, and his mother works retail, so... He has five siblings, and Saquon nearly gave up football as a prep due to competition and frustration with his lack of growth. But as you've seen, he's really put his mind to it, his body to it, and has just transformed his game. You know, a four-star recruit, very talented, but I don't think, I don't think anybody saw this level of talent coming. And you can even hear it from players or talented evaluators across the league. One AFC executive said of Barkley, you can build an offense around him. He's so effing good. Zeke is solid in all areas. Fournette is a special athlete for the position. But this kid, he's way better than both of them. He's a step above Zeke in all categories and has much better hands and feet and vision than Fournette ever did. He's special. I've never, I haven't seen a better college football player. So that's, that's some high praise. Another NFC uh, scout had this to say. When I first saw Zeke, it was his explosion from the line to the second level that was so rare. And Saquon is probably just a little better. There's something different about this guy. He has that rare things about him. His explosion, his balance, his vision. His ability to cut laterally. Someone hits him and he lands on his feet. He's tougher than curse word. <laughs> he steps up in pass protection. So very, very, very high praise for Saquon Barkley. Like I said, I, I personally have Elliott just a little bit higher, but Barkley is the second best running back I have scouted. I really did like Gurley as well, but that obviously the injury would play, play a role in him. But Eric, I know you are very high on Barkley as well. What do you think? Barkley is my number one player in this draft. He's a little bit better than Elliott for me which is obviously the opposite of you. He just offers so much, brings so much to the table. Elliot was a little bit better of a pass blocker, and we haven't really seen much of that from Barkley, really. I just think that as a runner, as a pass catcher, you can even have him as a returner. You just have, can do so much more with Barkley than you could with Elliot. Not that Elliot was bad. These are the two best running backs that I've scouted since I've really started scouting players, and it's just just great. I don't know what else to say. Barkley is a great talent. He, We just mentioned the positional value. That doesn't apply with him. He is a guy he can step in and change the franchise. He is from a, a from, as a running back, yeah. He's like Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley came in, and he was able to change the Rams franchise a little bit. He couldn't do it all himself, obviously. They had to go get Jared Goff. You have to have that quarterback, too. But Barkley is good enough that he can help out young quarterbacks a lot. He can do a lot himself. This is why I think San Francisco is going to take him. They got Jimmy G, who they're looking to make their franchise quarterback, and they don't really have a running back who can help him out. The running backs they have, for the most part, the coaches don't like. I've heard a lot that they like Barkley, and it makes too much sense, especially in that scheme. Barkley can be a star right away in Kyle Shanahan's scheme, especially if Jimmy Garoppolo turns out to be something the biggest knock i always hear people talk about with him is oh how many touches have you had has he had i've seen a lot of players have a lot of touches bomb out but last year one of the top running backs 731 plays from scrimmage another guy we talked about from and we've actually mentioned him 657 uh, touches from scrimmage 772 
Okay. First one, the 731, that's Christian McCaffrey. Okay. 657, that's Leo Fournette. All right. 772, Adrian Peterson. How long was he the best running back in the NFL? Long Ezekiel time. El- Ezekiel Elliott, 650 touches. Le'Veon Bell, who is currently, in my opinion, the best running back in the NFL. 749 touches. Now remember that. 749 for Bell. I want to come back to that. Todd Gurley, 557. He was one, he's the number three running back that I've had, so I had to throw him in there. And obviously the injury kind of took away from that of him getting more touches, but he's take, doing great in it. Now, got to close some tabs real quick so I can just do this. Saquon so Barkley has 748 touches for 4,800 yards, almost 49. Bell, who has 749 touches, has almost 3,900 yards. Yeah, special. <laughs> There's also like three game difference between the two. Yeah, and Bell was not the same running back he was in college as he is today. He dropped all that weight, which did change him. Yeah, I, I agree, but I'm just, I'm just talking about college production, and Bell played three more games than Barkley, and Barkley has one less carry, and then all this more, and then almost a thousand yards more from scrimmage. Uh, it's ridiculous. If you want to talk about how many times they touched the ball, you got to know what these other guys had. And that's the biggest thing is I'm not talking saying Barkley's going to be Bell. I think he can I think he can be a great running back. I think he can be a star. I think he can be the best NFL best running back in the NFL for his time for Barkley. But we never know how they turn it, how they what happens when they get in the NFL. No one knew that Bell was going to go and lose all this weight and be as good as he is. A lot of people thought Monte Ball was going to go and tear it up because he had a bunch of touches in college, and it turns out that he was worn out. He touched the ball a lot. Touched the ball 983 times. That's a lot, even by college standards. Damn you, Wisconsin. Yeah. They're going to ruin Jonathan Taylor, aren't they? Probably. Okay. Barkley does everything great. Don't stop using how many touches he has as a negative against him. Just stop. That's all I ask. We've seen so many other quarter. We've seen so many other running backs come in with a high amount of touches and do well. There's some stuff that he needs to clean up a little bit. One of them is that he he can play a little bit more to his size. A few times that I've seen him where he's running and he's got enough size for them who enough size on him where he can, he can blow by or blow through the defensive back, the cornerback. I can't remember what game it was, but I had to look it up after I saw the play. And the cornerback was, I think, 5'8 or 5'9 and, like, enlisted at 172 pounds or something like that. Barkley, who was untouched through the line, goes into him, lowers, and just goes to the ground with the guy on top of him. That, that, that is a concern. It's you, you have the size advantage here. Use it. You could have picked up a few more yards, and that's not the only instance I've seen. I've seen that with Barkley. It's just such a great talent. Obviously, there's concerns. There's concerns about every single player. His talent transcends the positional value. If he's there for Denver, they got to pick him. I just don't think he will be unless they can get ahead of San Francisco. Yeah, and the Colts. Colts would be very smart to take him. I know that they need to build that offensive line, but getting a piece like that for luck, whew, man, that's that's a thing. Yeah, oh, yeah I, for sure. I I love Barkley. I've been arguing with him. There was a NFL draft Twitter mock that I was involved in, and I had the fifth overall pick, and Saquon fell to me as the Broncos, and I jumped on it because this is probably the only chance I'll ever get to fantasize about Barkley on the Broncos. And I understand that running back's a devalued position, but I feel like this this class, you know, you can get value at linebacker, not linebacker, well, you can, day two for linebacker. But for offensive line, I think there's good value day two. So if you want to punt on that for day, till day two, and get a guy like Barkley, they'll do it. I'd be all about it. I mean, he's an all-around back, like you said, a real, a true three-down back, a program leader in regards to weight room habits. I mean, his positional coach is in love with him. He said, talked about his, talked to his teammates about Barkley, said, soak in the opportunity to train with college football's Floyd Mayweather. I mean, he's, he's a legend and just a great, a great guy. He set multiple records, weightlifting records at Penn State as a running back. I mean, he's going up against the offensive lineman, the defensive lineman. He's putting up more plates than them. So this guy is a workout animal and he's going to put it together, you know, perfect size. That dude's got the thickest legs, I swear. And his ability to change direction while not breaking stride or speed is 
incredible. I mentioned it last week or on one of the podcasts last week that I was fortunate enough to attend the Iowa Penn State game this year. And I have never seen, I've never been live to a game where a player has been that individually and physically dominant against his opponents. I mean, the Broncos, or Broncos, the Hawkeyes did a good job keeping him from busting big plays, but man, they had to corral him and he was making two or three dudes miss and only getting like a seven yard gain. If he had some semblance of an offensive line, which Penn State, I do not know if there's a single player on that line that's going to be an NFL player. I think he would have maybe broke some records. I mean, he was incredible this year, last year. And outside of, you know, Gesicki, who's a tight end who can't block for them, I don't know if they have much NFL talent on that roster, especially on that offense. Man, he hurdling guys, running around guys, agility, breakaway speed. I wouldn't be surprised if he ran a 4-3 or quicker. I mean, you talk about guys running between the tackles. Barkley is a guy who you can run that zone stretch or get him in space as a receiver, and he can make two guys miss, and he's gone. So just I wrote in my notes here positives for him. Can create magic in open space. All capitals, wow. I mean, he's such a fun player. I, I love his second-level vision as well. I don't think he has the best first-level vision. Granted, that could be partially due with the offensive line not being great, but once he gets to that second level, he can set up safeties, linebackers, cornerbacks uh, to the sideline, just outpace them, and make big plays. So I'm, I'm really, really in love with this, his skill set. He's a phenomenal player. And I don't have access to the, the interviews or talking to the teammates and coaches or people in their personal lives. So on tape, I have Elliot a little bit higher, but based on what I've heard about character between the two, actually speak with them. I think Barkley would jump Elliot, but right now I'm just basing it off of a uh, film grade. So what can you do? But I, I love, I really love, what I see from Barkley, very fun player. Right now, the comparison that I've heard and that I, I agree with, I've, I see a Damian Tomlinson-like player, maybe a little bit of Le'Veon Bell and his ability to be uh, effective in so many different phases of the game. Do I do agree that he needs to work on his pass blocking. They run that option so much, that read option with McSorley, that his version of pass blocking a lot of times is being a decoy in the run game beforehand. So it's not really that typical, you know, taking on that free rushing linebacker or anything like that, which he will see in the NFL. So he's going to have to get better there. And it's mostly like when I have seen it, it hasn't been an issue with effort, which a lot of times is half the battle. It's more of an issue with his technique being refined. Just needs to bend the knees and square up a little bit better. Like I, like I said, I love him. I have him as my number three overall player on my big board right now. Uh, but that has to do with positional value of the quarterback position. If it didn't have to do with positional value, Barkley would be my number one player on the board. Yeah, I don't, when I make my big board, I don't take in positional value into it. Uh, did you touch on his projected 40 time? Yeah, it's supposed to be about a 4-3. Yeah, that's about what I have him pegged for and with watching tape. It's somewhere between a 4-3 and a 4-4, which would be phenomenal. You mentioned your comparison as Le'Veon Bell. And one thing that I see that is very similar to Bell is his patience. Yes, so much. Yeah. There was one play... And this is about Bell for a second. One play where Bell was standing still behind the offensive line for a good two, three seconds. And that offensive line just allowed it to happen because they blocked. And then the hole opened up and he took off. Barkley did the same thing with a much less talented offensive line at Penn State. Obviously, there's a difference between college and NFL level caliber lines. But Penn State's line is bad. Even by college standards, they're bad. They have one guy on that line who I have as an NFL talent and that's their center Connor McGovern. Seriously, that's his name. And I want Denver yeah. to draft him just so we can have McGovern and McGovern. <laughs> Anyways, his patience is outstanding. And every time I watch it, it's it brings joy to me. Brings tears to my eyes. I watch all these running backs in the NFL and they're just so panicked. Oh, we gotta get back to the line. Oh, we gotta get these yards. They don't sit there and they don't wait. Take a step back, relax, take a deep breath, let the hole open. Stop running into the where the hole is supposed to be when there's three defenders in there, C.J. Anderson. And <laughs> it's frustrating. Be patient. And watching Barkley, it's it's so magnificent. It's uh, I can just say that over and over and over again. His patience is magnificent. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I can't believe I didn't get to that positive. That's definitely something that... The patience to attack. Yeah, he'll wait for those linebackers and defensive linemen or anybody to take that step. And then as soon as you do, he's going to exploit it. So not only does it show the vision and the patience, but his processing speed is phenomenal as well. And he can go Houdini on us too, on defenses. 
going back to another play I watched, I think it might have been the same game where he stood behind the line. They were running a stretch play, and he just kind of disappeared behind the offensive line, and the whole defense just continues to follow the stretch, and he just takes off the other way. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was early in the year. Granted, you don't watch college football live, so you wouldn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, it was. I know it was early because I watched it a couple months ago. But but it's just – these kind of things are things that you want in a running back, being that ability to disappear, so to speak, to be patient, to find the hole. And I think that Bell, with seeing what Bell is doing with his patience, I think that is going to actually boost um, Barkley's value a lot is because coaches are seeing what you can get from a patient running back. Just, this is the guy you want, plain and simple. This is a guy, if I was a scout, I'd go and I'd be banging the table on. I'd be jumping up and down. I'd be smashing things, just going bananas, trying to get him on my team. And if I, if I was a coach and a scout was doing that, I'd be right there with him. Yeah. This yeah, is a guy with- that, this is a guy, scouts, coaches, front office, PR, the weight guys, everybody. This is a guy that everybody should want on their team because he, you don't have to worry about so much stuff off the field like you do with some of these other backs. You don't have to worry about um, trying to get him into the weight room. He's more than willing. You don't have to worry about trying to coach him. He wants to learn. He wants to get better. He wants to improve. You don't have to worry about the product on the field. You don't have to worry about the athleticism. You don't have to worry about the ability. It's all there. He fits what everybody is wants they all want this and it's hard to find and find that one guy that everybody thinks it fit and then you have him the fact that you can do all these different things with him i touched on that the first time you can have him in the backfield you can run all different kinds of plays with him you can run any kind of scheme with him basically you can throw him out wide you can line him up wherever you can do whatever just just draft this guy and be happy yeah, I was going to touch on his, like, if he came into the Broncos right now, he'd probably be our third best receiver, just in terms of the, the skill set he has. You know, he's stocky, short, but, man, you can get him in the slot. He can do things. He runs really good routes for a running back, it, and I think it's going to get better, too. It's something that when you follow him freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, every year you've seen a step in that ability to be a route runner, and he's getting separation. He's so savvy with how he moves. that yeah. Once he takes that even more to the receiving and the route trees, I think he could be, like, I mean, you would talk about Christian McCaffrey being that guy that can kick return, be running back, and play slot as well. I mean, Saquon can do that, but he's 30 pounds heavier. Saquon like he's, can he's do that, but he's an actual running back. Yes. Not yes. just a gadget. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love this kid. Top five pick, running back one. On and off the field, sounds like an amazing guy. And if the Broncos get him, I don't even care what I'm doing in fantasy football. He's going to be my first pick. That offensive line, I mean, that's something when you get that running back, look at what the Jags did last year. They had that good defense, but they didn't really have an offensive identity. What do they do? They go get Leonard Fournette. They go get Cam Robinson. They built that identity, and now they, they're a dark horse AFC team. I mean, they really, with that defense and how they can run the football and Bortles actually playing, I mean, he's not playing good football, but he's not killing them. Yeah, And that's, Coughlin that's, and everything. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's fun. It's beautiful. It's ugly football, and I love it. Yeah, that's the key with how Jacksonville looks is they built it, they built their defense, now they're building the offense. Uh, they're a sleeper Super Bowl team, and as you mentioned, it's a lot of it is because of the running game, because of the what they did last year with getting Fournette and Robinson, and now they have Barkley, or not, they have Bortles, who isn't taking the gun and pointing it at his own foot. He's yeah. playing effectively. Playing in his lane, as some might say. You know, not trying to do too much. Just, just being the manager. Most of the best quarterbacks, especially even when they're young, you know, they become those gunslingers or whatever later, but they have to play within that scheme, within that structure. That's one of the reasons I'm yeah. just so not big on Josh Allen because I just don't see him being able to run an offense. That's one reason I wasn't so big on Lynch. He had that specific type of offense, and I didn't see too many NFL throws, but that's one reason I'm rising on Baker. I think he can – you put him in there, he's smart, he's going to work it, and he's going to run that offense to a T. I mean, there's probably no quarterback in college football that runs his team's offense better than Baker's running what Oklahoma's doing. So, sorry, we're getting on a quarterback tangent. It always comes back to quarterbacks. But, yeah, Barkley, I love it. The Broncos probably aren't going to be in an area to take him. I'm guessing that he's going to be a top three pick, top four. I mean, if, if it was my choice, I just, uh, as soon as the Broncos won and it was Monday morning on my bus ride to work, I did a 10-pick mock draft, and I had the Colts with a third pick taking Barkley, not even thinking twice about it. Got to get yeah. that guy. 
Yeah, I was actually going on to quarterbacks for a reason, though, is that with you look at San Francisco and the Colts, the two teams likely to play them or to draft them. San Francisco, they have the hopes of Jimmy G. The Colts, they have Andrew Luck. Like, it makes so much sense. They don't have the defense like Jacksonville does, but they have the quarterback who can sit there. Jimmy G can be that guy who just plays effectively, who doesn't shoot them in, shoot them in the foot while your offense runs through Barkley. With the Colts, you have adding Barkley to Luck. How do you defend that? It's It'd be so hard to defend. Run options. You can run all these different things. You have Barkley as a threat no matter where he lines up. You have Luck who's a threat with his legs and his arm. It's just uh, – he's just a beautiful player. Barkley is. And if you want if you want to improve your team, he's the selection. A lot of these other guys who are top picks, you look at them and some of them, like, they'll have an impact, of course. I mean, the quarterbacks, obviously, they're going to have an impact. But running back is safe. The quarterbacks can step in and um, play some good football. But Barkley is the guy that you can put in there and have your whole offense run through while you're trying to get a quarterback up and ready or doing all this stuff. I can just go on and on and on about why teams should draft Barkley. And they should. I wish there was 100 Barkleys. Yeah, he's a special player and should be a high draft pick. And when you see a guy that is that special on tape, I think you kind of ignore the positional value and just go get the good player, right? I mean, the Cowboys did that with Elliott, and, you know, did they make a mistake not taking Jalen Ramsey? Possibly, but they got an offensive identifying piece. And right now with a team like the Broncos who have lacked an offensive identity for, gosh, since that Rams game when Peyton Manning got injured, I feel like they have not had an offensive identity. You get Barkley, you build around him. I mean, and you still want to get that quarterback, but you go out there and you build around him. I think defense is still going to be good. I, you you got a chance to build a great team. So I'm, I'm a big fan and definitely a player that is worth watching and going to be playing Washington in the, I want to say it's the Citrus Bowl, and that's going to be must-watch TV because a great defensive front uh, against – or no, it's the uh, Fiesta Bowl, pardon me. Uh, but a great defensive front against Saquon Barkley. So a lot of fun and going to be somebody that I'm going to look forward to tremendously to talk with at the Combine. Now, before we move on to this next topic, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. Make sure your listeners go out there and check it out because every time you go and use that free trial, it helps us deliver this podcast to you guys. So again, www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. All right, Eric, well, you had a couple of interesting articles come out last week. The seven guys that Broncos should avoid drafting and seven guys that Broncos should draft. And we kind of talked about a little bit, no. so we'll, we won't spend too long. No, no, no. It was seven they should and five they should avoid. Oh, well, my bad. Numbers are not always the best. <laughs> five they should avoid and seven they should look at. So let's start with the five that they should avoid. Who is the first player on this list? Josh Allen is my first player that they should avoid. Uh, I was all for Paxton Lynch. I loved him. I fell in love with his physical traits. I knew he'd have an issue with running an offense, an NFL offense. I knew there'd be issues with the game speed and trying to slow it down and his mental processing. Josh Allen is a worse version of Paxton Lynch. I keep telling people, don't fall for the same trap that I fell for with Lynch. Don't fall for Allen's physical tools. His physical tools are worse than Lynch's. I don't think his arm is any better. I actually think it's a little bit worse. He's more accurate. I don't think he's as as athletic. I don't think he can process the field faster than Lynch. I think he can actually, it's actually slower for him because at least in college, Lynch was effective and was able to process it well enough to be effective. Allen is just a much worse prospect than Lynch, and people are talking about taking him at the in the top five, and there's Bronco fans who want them. Why do you want to double up on Paxton Lynch and Paxton Lynch 2.0? Paxton Lynch isn't a good quarterback, and they want to draft the poor man's Paxton Lynch. Josh Allen is a bad quarterback. He is a long-term project. Paxton Lynch was a two- or three-year project. Josh Allen is at least a four- or five-year project to me. You have so much you need to work on. His accuracy is horrendous. I don't know how many times I turn on, I've thrown on his tape for just a few minutes, and I have to turn it off because he's missing receivers by six, seven yards. His accuracy is awful. His decision-making is awful. It's just all awful. He shouldn't go 
before the fifth round. If you know somebody's going to take him in the first round. Somebody's going to take him in the first round. Please be the Jets. That would be <laughs> such a Jets move, though. Yeah. They did it with Christian Hackenberg. Hackenberg was undrafted. Like, he was awful. He had a good freshman year, and he fell off. Josh Allen, I don't think he's ever had a really good year. I think I think his high. I think he's re- broken sixty percent completion percentage once, and it was like a sixty point three or something like that. Josh Allen's just bad. He's just bad. He's a bad quarterback. And in an NFL where we have enough bad quarterback play, we don't need to add him to it. The Broncos have three bad quarterbacks in their NFL quarterback room. They don't need to add another one. I understand that they don't want to take a quarterback early, so they want to take one later. I have no issue with that because they want to get one in free agency. But Josh Allen should not be the guy they have their eyes set on. Period. They want another later late quarterback. Take a look at, let's see, Riley Ferguson. Take a look at Mason Rudolph. Take a look at Kyle Aletta, who Carl and I talked about in a private chat the other night. Uh, quarterback from Richmond. Take a look at the, oh, so many other quarterbacks I can look at. I can't even think of names. Just just not Josh Allen. Just no. I and, agree with you, man. But for the sake of time, we should probably move it along since we already did a whole podcast on Allen. <laughs> I wasn't on it. Oh yeah, you weren't. You weren't there, man. You gotta see your say your piece. Yeah, dude, I'm. I'm with you. That has to do with the quarterback moving up, and he, that would include him doing well at the Senior Bowl and interviewing well at the Combine. But from the tape, you can see the tools, but it's just it's so erratic, and it doesn't it doesn't translate to the NFL success. Yeah, and just just to be clear, my taking him before the fifth round is for Denver hmm. because they have Paxton Lynch. Yeah, I mean, if you have a proven quarterback. If I'm like the Chargers, I would think about it in the third round. I think about it in the second or third round if I'm the Steelers. Steelers, yeah, that's one that makes I th- sense. I think about it in maybe with the even the Bucks because Winston's been hurt and he has his play hasn't been as great as people crack make it up to be. I'd consider Allen, let Winston play out of, play a few more years and then look at making the switch, things like that. But if you're wanting a starter. If you're wanting a guy, if you're at the point where you're signed, like Denver is, where you're trying to sign a free agent to be the starter and drafting a guy who can be the answer if the free agent isn't, Allen is not your man. Stay away. Avoid, avoid, avoid. I am with you. The next guy on this list that I wanted to ask you about, somebody that a lot of people are high on. We don't need to get too much into it because we'll use a whole podcast on it, but give me the 30-second the spiel on why Minka Fitzpatrick is a guy the Broncos should avoid. There are... Two plays, and I think I talk about these two plays in the article that sum up as to why I'm low on Minka Fitzpatrick. Don't get me wrong. I think he's still a first-round talent. I think he's not quite top 15 player, though. If Denver wants to trade down, even if they into that 10-15 range and they want to take Fitzpatrick, fine. But he doesn't fit what Denver wants in a, in a safety. And the two plays that I talk about was one was against Tennessee. The ball carrier goes up the middle. Um, Fitzpatrick comes up. And instead of making a play when he can, he turns up field and runs with them, and the ball carrier picks up a few extra yards. Another Bama defender came in and made the play. And I think the other one was that was against Tennessee as well, and it was a similar situation where the ball carrier was going, and it was very obvious he was going forward. He wasn't going to cut back, nothing. He was lowering his shoulder, lowering his head, and, fin- and Fitzpatrick stops, seals the cutback lane, which, okay, if the ball carrier made it open to cut for that cutback, I can understand, and I'm fine with it. But he didn't. It was obvious he was going forward. Fitzpatrick didn't even bother to go in. By the time he actually joined into the fray, there was already like four or five Alabama defenders wrapping up the ball carrier. Just He's not a top 10 talent to me and shouldn't be taken as with a top 10 pick. Fair enough. Next one on the list, Mike McGlinchey, offensive tackle Notre Dame, which some people have as their number one offensive tackle. Basically, it's just a matter of value with McGlinchey. I like him, just not in the first round. I, I don't see any upside at left tackle which is the biggest here. If I'm taking a tackle, even if I'm going to play them at right tackle, I want to see left tackle upside. I want to see that guy, see that upside that I can move over. I don't see that with McGlinchey. I don't have first round value on him. He's a guy I would take in the second round, stick at right tackle and let him be. And then with the, another issue with that is though, the caliber of pass rushers that you have in the AFC West, McGlinchey at right tackle, I think would struggle a lot. And it, as I said, it's just a matter of value with him. I can't say I disagree. He kind of reminds me of a poor man's 
Taylor Decker from Ohio State. And I feel like he'll probably go I, – I would peg him around – he should go 10 to 20, but given the need for tackle, I wouldn't be surprised if some team took it in the top 10. Next hey. player, you don't think so? I mean, I – no. He's like a bangle. Sorry. It's not that I don't think he goes top 10. It's just that I don't think he should. I yeah. get that the offensive line play in the NFL is down, and that's going to boost his value because he's an offensive lineman. And the tape is a pretty good one. It's just where do you play him at? And it's I, I don't see the left tackle there. See it right tackle only. Just I don't know. I can see he's hard. I can see his range going from top ten to mid second, just because of all the different thoughts that I've heard uh, heard about him. Is that's just such a wide range. Yeah, he's definitely safe, but I just don't see a huge upside. Speaking about a guy that's probably a little bit less safe, some people have him as their number one quarterback. We spent a lot of time talking about him last week. We probably don't need to spend too much time. Mason Rudolph, uh, big numbers, but not the biggest. Not the biggest fan. No, if you want to hear my full thoughts on it, just go back and listen to the Huddle Up podcast from last week. It's, again, I just don't see Mason Rudolph as a first-round quarterback. I don't think he's a second-round quarterback. I could sit there and start maybe being trying to be talked into it in the third round. But before that, I think it's insane. I can't say I disagree. And wrapping it up, we have offensive tackle from Oklahoma, the six foot eight, 350 pound Godzilla known as Orlando Brown jr. It's similar to Mike McGlinchey. It's just a matter of value. I see no left tackle upside in him. You can't move him to guard. You can't move him around. He's stuck at right tackle. He plays a little too upright to move to guard, especially at 6'8". That's just going to be killer. He won't ever get leverage. Yeah, he, he can't get leverage there. It's going to be playing against guys who are five inches shorter than him at least, or at most, and then most defensive tackles aren't taller than 6'3". Yeah. But, and then yeah. at right tackle, it's I've seen him get killed by edge or by speed around the edge a little bit, and then every rusher in the AFC West can use that speed to kill. Houston, he's more of a power guy, but he can sit there and he can use that speed and quickness to get around the corner. I just see Brown struggling. I think that I do think that he does have some first round value to the right team. I just don't think it's Denver or any AFC West team. Yeah, he's going to struggle some against speed rushers for sure, especially I don't think he has very much flexibility in his hips. So guys that are bendier as well are going to be able to get under his pads pretty easily and get around him. I know he has a long wingspan. He's a big guy, powerful when he gets his hands on you. That's for damn sure. But with issues at the right tackle and the edge rushers in the AFC West, it's just, it's concerning. It's really concerning. And it's something else that I haven't heard many people talk about it, but when I watch him, he's a different player in the second half. He really wears down. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know if people are talking about that or not, but I really question his condition and being six, eight, three forty five. I mean, there's a reason there aren't many guys that size playing in the NFL. They just, the, the body, well, they need to be probably about 325 at the biggest, 330 maybe. And 6'8", you have, you're going to have natural leverage issues. But still, that big, and I just see him wear down in the second half of games. So that's something that really concerns me, especially at altitude. Yeah, I don't know if guys on Twitter or media guys are talking about it, but I know NFL scouts are. I've actually had a couple of them mention that to me, is that they have serious concerns with this conditioning. And in one game at low altitude, at some point in the second half, or not second half, second quarter, he was needing oxygen because he was having a hard time breathing, even though they were barely on the field. It was one of those one of those drives where Baker Mayfield goes out there and makes that big highlight play, and they score within like five plays. And after that drive, he needed oxygen. There's a lot of concern about his conditioning and a lot of concerns about his weight. I guess there was at one point he was playing at like 360 or 370, and he struggled to maintain his playing weight. And But with that stuff, it's always hard with that stuff, with the weight, because obviously, unless you're there and see it, you you can't really say 100%. Well, the Underwear Olympics will show because they strip those guys down, and you can see somebody that's a good 320 compared to a bad 320. Yeah. All right, well, we should probably wrap this up. We can save that seven guys the Broncos should look at in the first round for next week. How's that sound? Sounds good. It's a date. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, that'll wrap up episode six of the 2018 Draft Huddle Up podcast. You can find myself on Twitter at Nick Kendall and our special guest, Eric, at Eric Trickle, as well as find our Denver Bronco articles on My High Huddle and AffiliateOfScout.com and a CBS Sports Digital Network. You can follow the Huddle Up podcast by subscribing to us on iTunes and for Android users, Stitcher. 
We also have audio up put up on YouTube every week. You can check that out and I'll get on there and comment if you leave something or have any questions. You can follow us on Twitter at MileHighHuddle and at HuddleUpPod. Again, please be sure to subscribe and rate us and reach out to us as we love interacting with fellow Bronco fans. For Eric Trickle, I'm Nick Kendall wrapping up another episode of the Huddle Up Draft Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next week. Go Broncos and go draft. Mile High Huddle.